Hi, and welcome back to the AMPS podcast. My name's Owen Peters. And I'm Owen Shirley. And for this episode, Owen and I have met um, in a little, little known uh, nature spot in the south of Bristol, known as the Northern Slopes. Um, we're, we're next to a babbling brook. We've got late evening bird song. Um, and we're here really just to get out of the studio for a while, um, rather than any actual connection to this episode of the podcast. Yeah, we're looking totally crazy right now. Um, but if anyone is to come along, but it sounds good and it feels nice. Yeah, two middle-aged men being creepy in the woods. <laughs> yeah, so uh, for this episode, we're back to the world of Bridgerton, um, but not production sound this time, but actually talking to the post-production sound team about their experiences on the first series of the Netflix and Shondaland show. Um, so just a bit of advice, really, if you haven't heard it already, uh, we'd recommend you go back to episode 12, uh, where we talked to Tim Surrey and Johnny White about their experiences capturing the sound for Bridgerton on production and on location, um, because now we're going to talk to the post team about all their experiences taking the production sound and adding their own creative elements to it. Yeah, so we recently um, met over Zoom with the principal post-production team of Bridgerton, which was Ulrika Akanda, Stephen Fitzmorris and David DiPietro. Uh, we were obviously uh, in, in our home studios in Bristol. Ulrika was in Stockholm, I believe, and David and Stephen were in their studios uh, in California. So yeah, via Zoom, you can look forward to them hearing them tell us all about uh, the challenges of working through Covid, uh, with a lot of remote recording of crowds, uh, building up the many, many lines of dialogue throughout the show uh, for the many characters. Um, benefiting from Tim and Johnny's great work with their sound team in production uh, and a few more things besides. So here it is uh, with Owen introducing the team for Bridgeton Post. Uh, my name is Ulrika Akander and I am the or was the supervising sound editor on Bridgeton. And when did you first become involved in Bridgeton? I interviewed for the show I would say like in February last year and then I started working on it in late April last year and we finished up in November. Yeah hi uh, my name is Stephen Fitzmorris and I am the dialogue and music re-recording mixer for Bridgerton. I uh, I got started with the show probably uh, about the time it came into conception with Shondaland I, and, and I don't mean that they thought, uh, hey, here's a great show. We, we better make sure we get Steve. It's just that uh, Dave and I have been part of the Shondaland uh, sound scene for, you know, 15 years or so. And so I think it was always predetermined that if we could make it work, uh, that we'd be part of that. My name is uh, David DiPietro. I'm the effects re-recording mixer for Bridgerton. And like Steve said, yeah, we've been working with Shondaland for quite some time now. So there was always a hope, you know, if the schedules aligned that we'd be able to uh, to do that show. Um, being their first their first big Netflix show, we were very excited to to be a part of it. And had all three of you worked together previously? Obviously, David and Stephen, you both had, but Ulrika, was this your first time kind of delivering to these guys? Yes, I had been working editing some dialogue before on some of the uh, Grace Anatomy and Station Nineteen. But this was the first time that we actually worked together. I got hired pretty much because of my connection with Westwind, who have a long-standing relationship with Shondaland. And they wanted to, since this was a different show with a streaming one-hour shows, the, the difference then between a network show where it's very fast, you know, you shoot, you edit, you or edit picture, you edit sound, you mix, you air... The Netflix shows has a different workflow, and I have a background with uh, both television and feature films, so they wanted to get somebody who had um, experience in both mm -hmm. worlds, so that's where I came into the picture. That being said, we've we totally hit it off <laughs> in, in, our, in our small but very mighty crew. That's interesting. I know you've touched on it before about how this show Bridgeton feels very much like a collection of feature 
films as, yeah. as episodes and the, the scale is huge and it feels that way it feels very rich and detailed with so much going on yeah i mean both shooting it from what i understand from the production crew too i mean it's massive mm. and then the way we had to deal with it too was the eight, the eight episodes were pretty much like eight small features sure tim sorry the production sound mixer had mentioned having some days with, with 500 people, yeah. uh, you know, being served lunches <laughs> on single days. It's just mind-boggling kind of scale. And, and you see an awful lot of that on screen, which is great in terms of the amount of characters and, and how busy the sequences are. Yeah. How long did you actually have to work on each episode? From the mix side, uh, we try not to think about it in a per-episode way. More like it was eight episodes and 40 mix days. And so we definitely thought uh, a lot about which episodes needed more time and how can we uh, steal from Peter to pay Paul and, and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, uh, the first episode we mixed, which was episode two, our goal was to get that done in four and a half days. Uh, and it came out really well. Uh, but as suspected, um, people really like to sit with the product for a few days and take it home as well. I mean, even though we finaled the mix, there were a few extra notes that um, that they wanted to address. And so we applied those notes after the fixes came through after that sort of fifth day, as it were. And then we, we came back and readdressed them later. But, but what that meant was sort of on day four and a half, we moved on to the next episode. And, and so we're just sort of constantly working on something throughout the process. I think Dave was at the finale that we that we used a whole extra day that we had borrowed from another episode. And Yeah, I think it was, uh, yeah, we borrowed a day from episode seven uh, to give to episode eight, um, which, yeah, I mean, the, the finale was a good 10 minutes longer uh, than the other episodes. Um, and it was, it was huge, you know, so it, it definitely required that extra day and seven was, you know, was no small feat either, you know, so that, uh, you know, we definitely had to, uh, to really bust our butts to, to get through that one in order to give, uh, the finale, uh, an extra day. Were you delivering everything at the same time? No, it was sort of spread out, but we did go back. It, it's like they said, it was not like we did one episode and then that was completely done. Uh, but it sort of was done, but then there could be something with the titles or something we had to go back to. I mean, I literally, I had to have this like board with all eight episodes with everything broken down. I not only supervised it, but I literally cut all the dialogue except for 10 minutes in the last episode. Okay. So, but I worked on all, pretty much all episodes at the same time, there was there was always something going on in one episode, even though I was prepping one episode to mix in the beginning, mainly because of the voiceover with Lady Whistledown. Uh, but then when we shot the group and then I was cutting the dialogue and then I was cutting the group and it was it was sort of like managing eight projects at the same time. And then. Thinking about then uh, after hearing uh, your uh, your your pod with uh, Tim and Johnny, it's it's really interesting to hear because as busy as they were on the set, we were in the same boat in in post production because there was just so many details in the best possible way though because it it was it was it was really rewarding. One of the really nice and interesting details to me um, because it, there's so many characters, it is very dialogue. Uh, heavy but you have so much dialogue in in the busy scenes from principal characters off screen yeah and i'm just thinking in terms of of how that would be shot that i'm pretty certain all of that dialogue wouldn't be picked up you know in those scenes just shooting characters and lines in a very separated way so i was just curious about how those scenes were built with the principal characters dialogue being so layered whether that was entirely yourself, Ulrika, uh, selecting elements from the rushes to build that up, or did some of that come over from the offline edits and then? No, I I, I went through. That was the the bit from my point of view. That was to be able to help Stephen during the mix for you know because 
there would be no way for him to weave through any of that. So I spent the the first bulk of time for each episode, I would go through the assembly and you would have up to three booms, sometimes a couple of plant mics, depending on what scene it was. And then all the speaking parts would have the the radio mics as well. I would go through and 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 pick and sometimes I mean it would be like a shot going through and you would have these conversations flowing in and out or the dinner scenes when everybody are talking to be to be able to help the mix I went through like picking what I thought was working and also like the scenes and in, in the there were there are all these walk and talk scenes in the park with the gravelly footsteps and you know all that kind of stuff I would always pick the boom and the ISOs for each respective uh, actors. Sometimes there would be dropouts, but now with auto line post, even even if there were dropouts, we would do some work on it. I would obviously clean it up, make it smooth, and then I would leave it up to to Stephen to work his magic to make it work. And it was amazing. I mean, we it, it, in episode one of the first episode we did episode two, I had programmed some ADR, then realizing that this is not going to work because of COVID. So there were some, a couple of lines there when they're you know walking in the park and when they're walking into one of the ballroom scenes, but after that, pretty much the only ADR we shot was if there was an added line or a line change, or added Bridgerton laughs, comments, stuff like that, that we would sprinkle in, in uh, some of the scenes. So it's pretty much what you hear is what we've managed to put a show that shot close to freeways and whatever else yeah, and like, yeah. you know. Well, and there's, there's particular things that Tim and Johnny talks about them being aware of yeah. problems when they were shooting, such as there was one location where they said there was a there was a wall that was an entire an entire wall was a mirror. Yeah. So the reflections from that, then talking about parrots in another location. Um, obviously, the rain scene in the final episode. Yeah. You know, is it when they talked about that? Was there any of those things that you remember being like really difficult to kind of work with? Or I, I would say there were definitely different challenges that presented themselves throughout the show. Um, certainly, one of the things that we had to be constantly on the lookout for was something that wouldn't be period appropriate. And obviously traffic um, is an issue. Uh, cell phones are an issue. <laughs> <laughs> or, or the, or the ever-present uh, gas uh, fireplace. The gas fireplace, yep. Right, yeah, the gas fireplaces. We struggled with those. There's still one scene. Your careful listeners, I'm sure, will notice that we didn't get as much of it as I would have loved yeah. to have gotten. But, you know, as all things with noise reduction, the more you do, the stranger the voices sound and the more you're affecting genuinely the performance. And so our goal was to, and my approach to mixing, generally speaking, is to do as little as possible to try and take Tim and Johnny's tracks and um, and just present them in such a way as we can be as true to the performances that were there on the day as possible. And uh, that being said, you kind of have to do something to everything. Yeah. No, it was definitely, I mean, they're, they're talking throughout. The, I mean, there are so many words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Absolutely. I mean, it was like we, we had the approach that I would do my initial pass, I would hand it off to Stephen, and then sometimes there would be like, you know, a word here and there or something that could just not be mixed the way we wanted it to. And then I would go through and maybe just sometimes find a syllable or a word or something to make it seem natural. That, that, that's what we agreed on very early on, having the same philosophy about that, that none of us like to process the production so much that you suck the life out of it mm. we do, we do want to have the natural movement the natural kind of way it was recorded i'm super happy with the way this turned out i mean i yeah i've watched the whole eight episodes you know on christmas day <laughs> i really want to recognize how much uh work Ulrika did to find the best mic for everything and you know, obviously there's matching ISOs and, and booms, but there's also 
taking character B's ISO and using it for character A because it's genuinely the best available mic. And that was one of my biggest challenges was trying to find a way to make it not feel like we're bouncing across all these different microphones. It was fantastic. I loved hearing the stories from from Tim and Johnny about, uh, you know, how they were working on the set because we hardly ever get to um, to interact with them while the shooting is going on. Almost always we were interacting after all the shooting's already been done. And so we can only guess at what the, the backstory has been. But, but yeah, genuinely, I mean, as much as they do fantastic work, it may well be that the picture editor has chosen to use uh, the performance from the wide shot. Yeah. And, and so you, all you've got is these lobs. And sometimes the lobs are, you know, unreliable. And so Horika went through and she would find just the right things from wherever it was that she had to scrape it together. And she really did a fantastic job. And uh, she had mentioned it before, but Sound Radix has this fantastic product called Ottawa Line Post, and it really is incredibly helpful at clarifying dialogue when you've got overlapping microphones, whether they be two lobs or a boom and a lob or whatnot. Yeah. It was it was really interesting also to hear hear them talking about some of these scenes, like the rain scene, for example, at the in the last episode, where I totally agree. I mean, you would never want to loop that for ADR because of the the performance, and now also with COVID, we didn't we didn't want to bring them in. I mean, that that was for sure, and the way that they managed to still get signal. Another scene that really caught my attention too was uh, the boxing scenes. And I do remember this one scene in particular where Alice, then Will Montridge's wife, is in there too. And I do remember that plant mic. And I do remember that she had a love. I do remember that none of them did. (laughs) It's a big space. There were two or maybe even three booms. And I do remember we looped her but that was just to add a word. <laughs> that was it. It was not like because of quality or anything, but they wanted to add a word from her. It just worked with the whole space. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting to hear. I mean, I used to actually do production sound too and have some experience with the challenges. And sometimes you just can't do certain things. And hearing their things with like, okay, there's like a eight foot wall stone wall blocking the signal. It's like, what do you do? And the way they manage to get all this stuff is just incredible. There's literally in this entire eight episodes, there's just one sequence that is looped because of low signal. Okay. Wow. And it's, there were like five lines. That's it. So the small amounts of looping that you had to do, obviously you were now working under COVID Can you talk us through a bit of the the difficulties you had with that and and how that was arranged? Yeah. um, So when when I got started, we were in our first lockdown uh, in California. Uh, We had all the principal actors were uh, were in England. Some of the ADR stages had started to to open up. Mm. And I, I can't really remember when we started mixing the first show, but we had a couple of months time to wait it out. We were looking into, you know, the mobile ADR. Yeah. Fortunately, some of these British actors are also doing a lot of voice work, mm-hmm. like um, Penelope Featherington. She had her own setup in Ireland. So we looped her twice. The first time she actually looped from home, we were zooming in with her. She was recording on her device. A couple of the other minor actors that also had like a line or two were like, oh, no, but I have my own setup because I'm doing narration for BBC. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, I mean, it was fantastic. Mm. Then uh, like Reggie Jean came in, uh, Phoebe, um, Daphne came in, Anthony came in a couple of times, uh, two ADR stages in London. But the big difference compared to when we usually shoot ADR is that we did not do any source connect or anything where we actually could play it back hearing a match. Right. So I had to rely on the mixers on the ADR stages. 
but you know the end result was just phenomenal i mean we i'm super happy there's one line in all these seven episodes that we the three of us have an issue with right. and that's a line that was recorded on an iphone we won't tell we won't tell <laughs> yeah that that will be like a thing for you to try to figure out that was recorded on an iphone okay and it was, to, and it sounds like in the bathroom. I'm sure all of the professionals listening to the podcast will will get to that spot in the show and think, ah, that's the one they that's were the talking one. about. <laughs> <laughs> no, but then it's like, oh, you know, one of the actors too. We needed a, a last minute pickup thing. She was in a hotel room, and then recorded it. It didn't really work out. Because she, I think she had a computer on or something. Right. Redid it in that same hotel room. Worked out beautifully. I have to say, I am just so amazed at how the technology has progressed over the last 10 years. Our ability to, to take ADR that has no business working and making it like, I mean, like I said, you guys are professionals. You might be able to spot some of it. Um, but, but most people but, won't. Well, yeah, I mean, definitely your 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 average viewer is it's just going to slip right by. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I, this is a little embarrassing, but before I got started in film, I hadn't realized ADR was a thing. Yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> sure. And um, the technology is really amazing. I I just recall, you know, if if you would put something across the desk uh, like what we've seen in terms of ADR, not just on Bridgerton, but anything these days, particularly in the times of COVID, where yeah, where iPhone ADR is not uncommon. I mean, yeah, I can put it in your show, but it's just never going to work right. And so will it be good enough is really the standard that we have to go to sometimes. But with the technology, with, you know, with the EQ matching of the fab filters and the isotopes and, and all of the pieces that we can go to, it's really impressive that we get away with what we're yeah. able to get away yeah. with. No, and especially a show like this that's so dialogue heavy. Yeah. That being said, we really worked also on on creating this world and where, you know, Dave mixed this incredible, you know, going from the, with the Bridgertons, that was like the happy location where it's full of life. It's always something going on to the, the parks with, and then we had Angelo Palazzo, who's the sound designer, making these parks come alive and and the London at the time feel that together with all these kind of dreamy moments and and sound design moments. So you guys just did an incredible job. So the way that we would work through the show typically um, was that, so I'd sit down and work on headphones, pre-dubbing dialogue and give Dave the speakers in the room for a bit and then at some point he'd have things sorted out enough that he could kind of give it back to me and then and then I'd work for a bit and then this was always the horrifying time for me because there I was working <laughs> working on the mains with no support from from effects and and I'd get through scene and I just I just think to myself well I guess that's going to be all right but I don't know how to really make it feel like a film right now cuz it's it feels okay but it doesn't feel like a film and then after we'd gone through that process for the show, we'd come back and we'd, we'd tie together. And inevitably, Dave has some sort of secret sauce that he pours on the mix. <laughs> and I just think, oh, thank God. Because, <laughs> because it, it, it genuinely is the difference between, okay, well, hey, there's some clean, clear dialogue and there's a film. And I don't know how he does it, but I really appreciate it. So, Dave, how do you do it? <laughs> Uh, well, uh, a gentleman never tells, uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, this is, you know, this is uh, a workflow that Steve and I have established for quite some time now, um, really due to a lot of our shows that are two day mixes where we just, there's just no time, mm. you know, and we've got some shows that, you know, they're very effects heavy. And, you know, if I don't, if I don't get enough time to mix on the, on the big speakers, then it, it could be tough. Mm. So, you know, we started doing this thing and, and where I would, I would take the speakers in the morning because, you know, it's, we're, we're mixing in, in 916 Atmos. Right. Um, so especially for backgrounds, like I need, to, I need to make sure my panning is, is accurate and correct and really tie that stuff together. So I would do about 20 minutes 
um, of BG's done and and nice to where when I do go back, I'm making minor adjustments or or global adjustments to the backgrounds where I, I've done all the the real detailed work, and then I would I would turn the speakers over to to Stephen and I I jump into the the hard effects, and it's just been you know just been doing it for so long. I know my headphones, I know the room. I know roundabout how things are going to sound. So I, I can do a lot of stuff that most people probably normally wouldn't do on, on headphones. Mm. Any major detailed stuff, I'd wait or I'd just rough it in and then just come back to it later when, when I had a chance. And it really allowed me to get the show in place, just get it all in, G- get it all there. So then the more time that Steve and I can be together with the speakers yeah. is, is more time that we can really shape the show. And, and that was what was really crucial to this show because there was just so many different places where you had to pull back from this, feature this. It was, it was very feature-like in that sense. So I would really just try to bang out all the effects and, and backgrounds and foleys as, as quick as possible and to try to give us at least like an entire day together where we're just watching a scene and it's like, all right, how can we make this better? And it's like, all right, let me pull away from this. Let's feature this. And and we basically did that throughout the show. And sometimes it would be like we would stagger our lunches. Oh, okay. I would, I'd go to lunch first and Steve would just keep working. And then when I'd come back from lunch, Steve would go to lunch because it's COVID. We weren't eating lunch together at that time anyway. That was the thing too. I mean, we had, we tested every Tuesday morning at between 8 and 8.30. We all had to go get our COVID tests uh, throughout the mix. Mm-hmm. You guys would sit there with, with the face masks. The producers would come in. Most of the time we did the playbacks via Clearview for the producers and for the music editor. I'm really grateful to Netflix for making that happen yeah. for us. I mean, that's it, it was a considerable expense, I'm sure, for them. And they covered it. And not, not everyone does that for you. Um, but they made sure that, that we could keep going and, and feel really comfortable with each other in doing that, especially at that early stage of the of the process where nobody yeah. really knew exactly um, how things were. Tra- I mean, we, we had we had guesses, we had ideas, uh, but nobody really knew what was happening with the virus. And, and all we knew was we needed to make sure that nobody had it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if we did, that we that we responded immediately. Yeah. You know, you would walk into the studio and you would get your temperature checked and all that. And that that was the thing, too, with the loop group, which also we couldn't shoot, you know, like we usually do to have all the actors in the same space. Mm. Uh, we couldn't even do, we tried, but when we were going to start shooting the first group ADR, there was a second lockdown. And we had this idea that we could maybe bring in three actors at a time and maybe have them shoot with face masks and since it's group ADR is not really on mic anyways, all kinds of ideas. But then we ended up using the same 10 actors, British speaking, in all eight episodes so that I also could move some of the voices to another episode, shot a bunch of it wild so that we could do the typical ballroom stuff, the laughs, the whispers, the gossip, the the, the horsemen you know, on the carriages, the, the London Street walk by, all that kind of stuff. I also shot a bunch while. But all these actors, it's kind of like the way we are now in the Zoom meeting, but it would be the 10 actors and me. And then we had this guy, Brent Findlay, who had set up a system where the I would cue everything super specifically and uh, Nancy Snow, who was the, the group ADR leader, she and I would go through and cast every single cue so we knew exactly who was going to shoot. And all these actors were home, literally, and I'm not kidding, in their closets. <laughs> Some of them had a, a, vo- a voice booth if they do a lot of work. Yeah. But it was, like, incredible. And the end result was, like, the best sounding group I ever had. <laughs> um, but it was a lot of work, like, all through the industry, we were all trying to figure out how to shoot group. And at one point, it was actually that we also started worrying about, is this something that's going to disappear? Or are we just going to be using effects wallet moving forward? Or are people going to start recycling old group and sort of breaking that rule that you can't recycle group, ADR or loop group? But, you know, there were creative ways 
through this whole process to make it work. And it, it actually had some benefits to it, you know. I know Stephen loved the group ADR on this one. I, yeah, I really want to attest to this process because uh, I will be 100% honest with you. We we started the conversations about the group Walla really pretty early, um, even before COVID was a thing. And, uh, and there were a lot of conversations about how incredibly important it was to really feel the correct energy from the balls and that finding... Uh, effects walla was going to be really hard to find stuff that you could just rely solely on it that you were absolutely going to need group and it was going to be need to be the right group and it was going to there we were going to need to spend a lot of time making sure that those locations had the right energy at every moment because there's so much drama that takes place just within the ball Mm -hmm. and uh and so we were we were talking about that and i thought okay well i mean We'll get through it and we'll do it. And, you know, hopefully we can modify our plans along the way if we need to with that whole kind of like 40 mixed days idea. And you keep the same talent in the in the group the way through. Maybe if you need to pick something up, you can. And we were going through that and it seemed like, OK, well, I think we've got something that'll probably work. And then, of course, COVID dropped and there were lots of conversations about, well, well what do we do? Do we put um, the group actors all in a stage just a few at a time and then we have them wear masks while they're doing their loops? And, uh, and of course, I mean, everyone's first thoughts are we have to keep people safe. So how do we do that? And the mask idea, you know, they actually got out there and tried to do a couple of test recordings with masks and it was really terrible, <laughs> as you can imagine. <laughs> And they looked at modifying the the local ADR stage to accommodate actors in different rooms. And that was going to be problematic, um, not just from a technical standpoint at the time, but also because we were very concerned about how do we apply COVID protocols during a time where we don't really understand what COVID mm-hmm. is. And so ultimately, the plan was go remote. And it's not my decision to make. I was asked for recommendations. And my biggest concern is if we don't have the group members where they can genuinely interact with each other and be directed, it's going to be really hard to get the right energy. And I couldn't have been more wrong. I was (laughs) horrified when um, they said that they were going to go remote. I was just afraid for my career. No, I mean, not that, not that, you know, group is going to kill you, but, you know, you have this really important relationship with your clients who trust you and you want to do everything you can to deliver exactly what they need. And this precious resource that was going to be so important, setting the tones in some of these locations, um, I was just thinking to myself, oh, how can they possibly get together and have the right energy and do it? But they did, and, you know, Ulrika's direction with them, Brent Findlay's recordings and organization were tremendous. And it was a hundred times better than I could have imagined. And it's in many ways better group than what we normally receive because there's so much isolation. And in those moments where you need it to just be a little less dense and not a lot less dense, just a little less dense, then People can mute a track or they can scrape one voice out that's for some reason is just a bit distracting, but you keep all of the best parts and none of the parts that you don't. And so um, Ulrika and Brent, their team, all the work, the tremendous work that I'm sure was hours and hours and hours was really effective and made things so much more um, effective from where I was able to sit than I ever expected. Uh, They just really killed it. It was really impressive. Yeah, it's so much group ADR in Bridgeton. There were the balls and there were the parks and all the different balls also had like a different theme to it or a different a different energy. They all had their personality. And these actors, it's like at the, the boxing scene, like the one where it's like this big audience thing. Mm. I mean, it's like these 10 people who just killed it. I would just record a couple of different things. They would be different people. They would talk to their imag- imaginary friend. And we would have the separation. Brent would do a mix down, but then I could also have the separation if I wanted to, because I got both. I don't want to leave Dave and Angelo out on this. 
the reason I wanted to talk about the group ADR so much was because it was such a big surprise. I know that I can rely on Dave and Angelo to deliver all of the incredibly important and essential parts uh, that we can't live without in those locations. And I know this for 100% sure because we tried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had we had a few locations where we were really struggling with the ambiance in the room. And we said, okay, well, you know, what if we just get rid of all of the sound effects wallas and, and try just going with the group here? And <laughs> it was a disaster. Okay. So you know, we, we reworked it and all of the pieces coming together are so incredibly important. And I really appreciate the thought and, and, and time that... Angela and Dave put into those locations because they wouldn't have worked. They absolutely would not have worked without. Um, without and that, I mean, uh, that goes for for all the 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 scene, not just like the ballroom scenes, but like the, the one of the big notes that we had uh, going through them the first episode too, getting the the general uh, idea was to also make London come alive, and we're like, okay, we see some horse carriages we don't but um, uh, you guys did such a tremendous job thank you dave can you talk about whether there was a balance between being authentic to the time or was it more about the storytelling and the drama and the energy as these guys are talking about yeah we 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 certainly wanted things to be authentic but with that you know with the the feature style a real goal was to match the vibrance and the detail and the extravagance of the picture because you look at the picture and you're kind of just immediately blown away and it's like, okay, we've got to match that. And so that was, that was the goal. And Angelo, I mean, I can't say enough good things about him. This was my first time working with him. We had, uh, we had gone after Angelo because of his extensive feature and TV credits. Uh, we knew we wanted a, a feature style edit. Um, and I also knew that I needed it to be cut efficiently so I can actually get it done in five days. Mm. Well, that, that was part of the thing on, on, on my end, since I had not worked with Stephen and Dave before. And that was the thing too, f- for me, not being an effects editor, I wanted somebody I could trust who I knew would deliver exactly what we needed. And who also had the same sort of hybrid thing that I do to have both feature and television experience mm-hmm. and then you could kind of just let him loose and do and i mean there were some amazing sound design scenes that you guys created yeah and there was there's a there's a lot of amazing sound design that nobody ever got to hear yeah sure uh, there's there's there a lot of stuff i mean he gave me some really incredibly detailed tracks yeah and uh it was fantastic it was a pleasure getting to sit down at a new episode every week and just you know, seeing what he was going to give me because a lot of the times I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't able to see the episode before we started it. So it was just like, I didn't even know what to expect. Um, when, when we first started talking about this show, you know, I knew it was going to be dialogue heavy. Um, one of their main, the client's main focuses was going to be the balls. So I knew that was going to be a big thing. I didn't think I was going to have nearly as much to work with, uh, with the show. And then when we started on episode two and it was like, Oh, we've got boxing. I've got tons of sound design. I was like, okay, this is this is a whole nother level. And then once you really start getting into it, you know, you really feel how broad it is, you know, because those horse and carriages, I mean, those were cut wide. Those were extremely detailed horse and carriages. And sometimes you got two, sometimes you got three. Yeah. And it's like, okay, how how are we going to arrange this in a way that I I can look at the screen and know what's going on here mm. and, and be able to, to, to get through this stuff efficiently. Yeah, sure. And so we, we had plenty of discussions about that and, and, and just figuring out ways, uh, to make things more efficient. And it, it just worked out really well. I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was by far the, the most fun show I've worked on. Mm. Um, partially because of the, the sound effects that Angelo cut for me, but also the time that we had, um, having a little bit more time to actually, uh, work through this stuff. You can really focus on stuff. And like, I mean, there were times where I was just, you know, playing with reverbs for, it felt like hours, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, and it was probably 20 minutes, yeah, but yeah. it felt like hours. And it's just like, you know, they provided me such great spaces that I'm like, okay, I have to do this space justice and just sit there and, and work through it. And, and find what what really works well yeah i suppose that was the main advantage of mixing in atmos then you had you had the space yeah and atmos is interesting atmos is is interesting because 
it's it's one of those formats where you can take it too far really quick. Mm. Okay. Um, you know, so it's it, it, it's a fine line, and and I, I tend to like to push that line and then bring it back. Sometimes push that line and then just like no, no just take it out altogether. You know what I mean? So I really wanted to hit the Atmos when it was necessary and when it was impactful, and let the music live there when when it wasn't. You know. Mm. Yeah, and no, no, I mean, we, and we also felt like we had the trust from the producers. You know, we were all going in the same direction. Mm. And they really liked what we did, and it it was it was so special to to work on this show because it felt like everybody put in their best work on like every possible level, and it it just felt so rewarding. I mean, playing it back, and it's like, oh my god, this is really coming together beautifully. And it's a, it's a, it's really a shame that that we did this during COVID times because really, the three of us and and Holden Chang, our producer are really the only four people that got to hear the show in Atmos. Hmm. Yeah. You know, everybody else was hearing a two-channel version of it, mm. you know. So it's like I'm really hoping, you know, when season two comes around that, you know, we're able to get our, our clients back in the studio yeah. where they can actually feel it the way we we, we get to. Share the experience. Sure. Yeah. Mm. And it's it's interesting, too, because I know the, the home theater Atmos standard is um, 7.1.4, and it's profound what the difference is in 9.1.6. Just getting those wide front speakers up in front of you, it it really just gives it so much of a rich texture. So we heard 7.1.4 and thought, oh, wow, this is amazing. And then once you go to 9.1, like, oh, I can't go back. So (laughs) it's sad because, uh, because I feel like there are um, there are a lot of em- emerging systems that are going to sound great for uh, home theater Atmos um, that you can get for your home. And, and we've heard a couple of them and, and that it's pretty cool, but it's, it's just always evolving. And once you once you poked your head through the door of, oh, well, this is a really greater resolution way to mix. So you never want to go back, but you always have to. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And and that's actually something I should mention about our mix style, which was as much as we absolutely wanted to deliver the most amazing 9.1.6 mix that we could. It was also paramount that the two channel, mm. the thing that the vast, vast majority of people here is really paramount. It's the most important thing. And so through our processes, um, and actually in some ways um, had to be, uh, because of the remote playbacks, uh, people were listening on matched headphones for for the for the playbacks, and so it was really all the final decision making was being done on the two channel rather than the nine point one point six. Well, that's interesting. Really interesting. Yeah. It was, it was uh, one other thing that that I remember now with one of the challenges that sort of also goes into a little bit with the production. Some people were talking about they shot this during the winter last year. And it's supposed to be summer, mm-hmm. the the courting season and all that kind of stuff. So one big thing that we did have to deal with was wind. Mm. Okay. There were so many scenes. I mean, the the way again that David and Angelo made this these like garden parties or parks seem like it was summer. If you start looking carefully, you see there it's blowing like crazy <laughs> it's so windy and all the actors were talk. i mean it because there were a couple of scenes there where we had to pick up a line or two and they were like oh my god it was so cold because they <laughs> shot it in like january february yeah and it's supposed to be summer yeah that was definitely one of the one of the big challenges for us yeah and that goes then with the production sound then you know that that steven had to make work then we had this like you know the 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 wind but you're not supposed to hear it because that was one of the things that the producers were like no we don't want to hear the wind because it's not supposed to be windy it's supposed to be like a nice summer day (laughs) (laughs) and it seems like that you know you've got to play some wind you know we've we've got to we've got to play we've got to play something and that's the trick it's like hey angelo do you have any warm wind? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, I mean, we made a point, you know, to avoid anything, any cold sounding yeah. winds, any like whistling winds yeah, and, yeah. and stuff like that and try to keep everything very warm. And calm. And yeah. yeah. And 
you know, I would I, I would play up, you know, if we got close to a tree or there was a shot with a tree, you know, I, I would I would play up uh, some leafy wind there. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I'm trying to avoid trying to avoid that. You know, I'll, I'll hit it when we see it and then and then get away from it because you can't avoid the wind. I mean, you see the wind. It's it's there. Yeah. You know, um, so if you if you just play it completely dry, then it's it's really weird. Yeah. But that <laughs> yeah. was also, you know, the the one of one of the things that we, because they they did a lot of VFX to make the sky blue, and all that kind of stuff because they they didn't shoot it when it was nice and sunny and green. So yeah, we did not at all times have a final VFX at that time. Yeah, that was that was another challenge. There was yeah. there was times where we wouldn't get some VFX shots until the last day of the mix mm. or the second to the last day of the mix. And we had an idea of what it was going to be. We're like, oh, this is going to be, you know, the town square. It's going to be an establishing shot of the town square. Okay. And then we get it and they're like, oh, it's bustling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's a scramble. It's like, Angelo, hey, I need some, I need some horse and carriages. Yeah, I need some people. Horses. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and he, he'd send it over and we'd have to put it in real quick. No, because it's like they were talking about like the, the scene in the last episode when the whole Bridgerton family comes out and they all have a line each. And I think that's what Tim was saying, that that's like literally right in the middle of town. Mm-hmm. And what we saw was them and uh, and a uh, green screen, right? So we didn't know. We just knew that it was sort of a lot of noise going on. But yeah, that was a, again, that was a challenge. <laughs> but again, you know, it's it's um, some movie magic going on. And, and yeah. um, so one thing we haven't talked about that I'd love to just touch on is um, is the music in the show. Oh, great! And uh, and it was. Um, I was really impressed with Stephen Kay, who's the scoring mixers that works with Chris Bauer, the composer. And they obviously came through so well mm. in this film um, with score that just it just melds so well into not just the, the tone of the show, but also all of the really incredible needle drops that they um, managed to, to get for the show. And I don't know exactly what their process was, but I do know that uh, that they had to do remote recordings for their musicians as well. And so it was... Uh, yeah, they also had to record them separately. And, and doing that and still maintaining the feel of the music is just so hard. You know, as uh, someone who worked in albums briefly uh, before my time in film, it was so incredibly important to get all of your musicians in the same room, even if you're going to replace them all to make that scratch track, to make that that feel for the song that you're that you're going to do. Um, and you bring them back and you get everybody recorded pristinely, or maybe you keep some things because it's just magical. But what they had to do for the show clearly was to record everyone remotely. And I'm, I'm not sure if everybody got a temp track that they played against or whether they somehow played against each other at the same time or something. But they really did a tremendous job of giving us just really great sounding material that really felt right. And I'm, I'm not sure how they, how they <laughs> did that, but it was tremendous. And just really a great fun challenge in the show integrating that with um, the way that we move so often from score to song to source. You've got these um, these big score moments. You've got these songs with the, um, what, I'm trying to remember the name of the, the band. Oh, the, that does the, the vi- vitamin, yeah, I vitamin think, oh, the, important. Vitamin, yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. And, um, and so those sounded amazing. And so you wanted to kind of get a crossing feel is this is this score or is this a song or oh no wait yeah this is a song i totally recognize that or i mean some of them obviously the billy eilish is you know you're not going to get confused for a second mm-hmm. but um but you know you bring those in and um and they really set the tone and then you've got these um these incredible shots with these uh, very um pallid-faced musicians that are the sideline musicians that you see in the in the show just you know looking deadpan at, <laughs> almost disinterested as they're playing this tremendous music <laughs> or, or meant to be playing this tremendous music in these in the Tobridge ball is is just amazing which it was so uh which then you know we have Sienna um sing opera in the location so you go from you know a, a tremendous song that takes you in to source music, which, by the way, classical music is really tough because it's just inherently dynamic, which is fantastic. But if your goal through these ball scenes is to have uh, a sense 
that there's music playing in the background without it really being distracting. <laughs> and hmm. the music's just going up and down and up and down <laughs> the whole time. It's, hmm. it's a challenge, but, um, but yeah, and they, and they really got lucky um, with Sienna. Uh, I don't recall the actress's name, but uh, she was just a tremendous vocalist and, uh, and some great recordings too. That, I mean, what the guys, Tim and Johnny managed to pick up was tremendous. There's a, there's a great, sequence i don't recall maybe dave do you remember the episode what episode number it was that that was the interplay between the pianoforte and the gunshots that was episode seven right yeah that's a production recording oh, right. of the piano and and it sounds um it's just it's very distinctive you mm. are going to have a hard time finding someone with a midi patch that <laughs> yeah. matches that <laughs> matches that pianoforte and so it was, I mean, it was essential that we use it and not just um, because it was the right sound, but it was also just this fantastic, furious performance. And so it just matched so well with the aggression coming from the, from the hunting just off stage. Yeah. And all the, the pianoforte is production and the singing, like um, uh, Colin, when he's singing, um, one of the Featherington daughters, when she's singing. There was one pianoforte that was redone because they wanted to do it. And that's, I think that was when Colin was singing, but that's all his, it's all production singing. I think there might've been two spots. I think yeah. there was another spot where yeah, there was we some, were meant yeah. to transition from score to, um, to pianoforte yeah. in the diegetic sense. Um, yeah. and, and so I think that one was, was a, was a non-production recording but but yeah. really the vast majority of it was was production and really well done by johnny yeah. and, and tim mm. yeah and that's the thing too i mean again with the locations that they had with some of these like large spaces and uh, and i'm glad to hear they're all coming back all three mm, yeah. of them <laughs> yeah us too um for sure so I, I was gonna say from my side of the board i, I want to uh give a big shout out to uh, johnny and tim as well because the production effects that they were able to pick up um, throughout the show just helped out so much. Yeah. Um, I, I tried to use the PFX as, as often as possible. Um, and then when I couldn't use them, I was trying to mimic them. Right. Okay. You know, I was wondering if you could talk about that a bit more, actually, David, um, um, the sort of interplay between Foley and PFX for you, uh, and effects in some cases really then obviously you used a lot of the production effects, which is great. Yeah, um, especially the 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 dinner scenes, right? You know, whether it's the whole family or if it's that scene with just uh, Daphne and Simon, um, where there's not a lot of dialogue in that scene. It's you know they're they're going back and forth a little bit, but the foley and and the production effects kind of make that scene in a way you know it's hmm. you know they're slamming cups down as like exclamation points to their to their argument and you know there's a a dish that's just rattling off off screen somewhere that we're like oh you know something that we might normally just take out and it's like no we're, we're playing that up mm. the foley team that was uh, mitchell cohen and, and gary de leon who provided us the foley and they did a fantastic job they had a lot of work to do. I mean, those are those are sets that are going to be incredibly difficult to match. Um, you know, coming from a Foley stage to some big grand hall that's, you know, very roomy and, and boomy, you know, it's definitely uh, a challenge to, to get something that's going to going to work right for that. Hmm. Not to mention work right, but I'm not giving them very much time, you know, to to really put those in the, in the, in the right places, you know? So it's a testament to them that they were able to give me such quality stuff that I, I was able to, I was able to really get it in and, and, and get it working. Mm. And with the Foley, um, and production, one of the big things was the cloth movement. Okay. Yeah, of course. You know, so they're wearing these big gowns, mm. you know, there's some, there's obviously some cloth movement in production. And as long as it wasn't too distracting uh, to the dialogue, we wanted to leave most of that as well. So now I told our Foley, mi our Foley mixer and, and Walker that we need some big gowns for like these these sits into chairs and stuff like that. We we want to I want to be able to match that sound of their dresses, you know, when they move. And they were able to get it for me. It was, uh, <laughs> it, it, I don't know what they used, you know. <laughs> that was my next question. <laughs> right, I've, I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was always the thing. It was like I I'd, I'd call them up, and be like, all right, 
You, you can make you can go even bigger. You can go even bigger because they're they're like this is too much. You know this is too much. And I'm like no no you can keep going. <laughs> um, so it was good. We had a lot of uh, we, we, there was a lot of dialogue between me and the uh, and, and the Foley crew to get it to get it to work because the Foley was was very important in the show. Mm. There was so much dialogue in the show, but there were there were also quite a lot of pauses and quite a lot of scenes. You know, like the tunnel scene um, with uh, Simon and Burbrook when they get into their fight hmm. where, you know, the beginning of it is just empty and it's just, it's just all Foley. And it's like, it's basically just footsteps at that point. It was crucial for certain points of the show to have really, really solid Foley and, uh, and they delivered for us. It was great. I, I wanted to um, mention that the dining room scene that you talked about, Dave, I think that might've been my favorite scene in the whole show, which is, which is really a weird thing for, a dialogue and music mixer to say because I don't think there was very much dialogue or music in that <laughs> in that scene. But as, if I recall correctly, um, it had come right uh, right after the piano and mm-hmm. um, and gunshots. Yeah. Uh, so that would have been like the second season, second scene in episode seven. And so here are these two people who are really just tremendously pissed off at each other, and uh, and they're sitting down to dinner and and speaking more with their foley than with their uh, with their words. It was. It was super fun to see that play out. Mm. That piano duel was probably my favorite scene in the show. I'm kind of a sucker for perspective shifts. <laughs> and uh, that entire scene was just one <laughs> one perspective shift after another. It was just really fun. I mean, it was a ton of work. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, cutting back and forth that much. It was, it was definitely a, a lot, but... Uh, just the juxtaposition between the piano and the guns and then the close-up of the birds, mm. you know, it was great. I mean, that was one of those scenes where, you know, in Atmos, you can hear the bird fly off into the ceiling. Oh, okay. and, you know, it was it was really fun to do. So how about yourself, Eureka, as, as we're talking about it? Did you have a favorite moment yourself? I, I have a handful of, of, of favorite scenes. And, and, and actually, I think it's more the fact that I'm so proud of having us be able to create what they asked us to do. And it is all the scenes at the Bridgerton home where if there were two people talking, you wanted to hear the other people continue the conversations. You wanted to keep it alive. And it's such a patchwork of lines from other scenes from the Bridgerton when they get together, because they were all like ad-libbing all the time and like laughing and talking and everything. And then we did shoot some ADR and, you know, we would have Violet Bridgerton laughing or, you know, young Gregory came in and did some stuff and, and, and Hyacinth, the, the, the youngest daughter would come in and, and she did some ad lib kind of things too. And, and the way it's sprinkled throughout some of these scenes, when I was cutting it, I was like, there's no way this is going to work <laughs> to create this thing that was, that Chris Van Dusen wanted. There's also like the, the scene in, in episode one, the first time they have dinner together, or the first time Simon comes over to the Bridgertons. And that's another scene that I just, I just love everything about it because I think we really managed to capture that whole uh, just Bridgerton vibrance that we were looking for. Yeah, that scene in episode one is the one that always sticks in my in my mind for you. You cobbled together all of this incredibly organic sounding dialogue from from the rushes, from the outtakes, from um, from little bits of here and there that somehow it all has the right feel, the right tone, the right energy for the location. It feels really natural. And uh, it just wasn't really there before you put it together. So uh, yeah. kudos to you, Ulrich. And being sort of like a dialogue nerd, that's that's kind <laughs> of like the, you know, it's like one of those things. If you don't know, you would never know. Yeah. Uh, it just feels like, a, a you know, one of the scenes why we like the Bridgertons, because you really feel... The, the connections that they have, that they're a very warm family compared to then the Featheringtons, where it's not like a happy place as the Bridgertons. Hmm. Well, for such a show that posed you so many technical challenges and would have been really difficult at the best of times for you to have kind of all worked through that during all the uncertainty and anxiety of COVID, to hear you all talking about how rewarding and how enjoyable it was, it's really lovely to hear. Yeah. And also to hear how it all leads on from all the work that Tim and Johnny did. Thank you so much for inviting us to do this because it's kind of rare that you get to have this conversation 
Yeah. That what happens during production and that there actually is the, the thread, you know, yeah. that goes through it. Well, this has been brilliant. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. And thank you, guys. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. No, thank you for having us. So we hope you enjoyed listening to that discussion as much as Owen and I did. Um, we'd really like to thank Ulrika, Stephen and David again for taking the time to speak to us and for being such uh, excellent contributors. It was uh, very easy for Owen and I to just sit back and listen to these guys discuss their experiences. And it was fascinating listening to them follow on from Tim and Johnny's earlier conversation. Yeah, thank you to the team. It was great to have a chat with you and hear you talk. Um, thanks as well to Netflix and Shondaland. Um, the, all the assistance we had with this episode from them, that was invaluable. We, we really appreciate getting the opportunity to do this. Uh, and also thank you to Bubble Bee Industries, who have provided us with a pair of wind bubbles, which is making it possible for us to stand outside right now uh, on quite a stormy day using um, their wind protection on our lav mics to record this now. So thanks to you guys as well. Uh, as AMP Sustaining members, we really appreciate the support. Yeah. Now, we, um, we've really enjoyed putting these two companion episodes together and, and we're really pleased with how it's turned out and we'd love to do more. So for anyone working on any productions or in post-production, if... If you're working on a project and you think it's something that would be really interesting to discuss, um, then please get in touch with us. Uh, we're on Twitter at AmpsPodcast, or you can email us, um, AmpsPodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and if you're interested in joining Amps uh, as a new member, um, Amps has availability for all levels in the industry to become part of the association. Uh, you can find out more about that at www.amps.net and become part of the community. So yeah, join us again next time. Yeah, see you soon.